Okay, so high school Joe was an interesting person, okay? Uh, I liked school, I liked learning, I liked doing all those things. I loved Jesus. I also liked hardcore screamo, emo, punk rock. Um, I wore girl jeans because they didn't make guy jeans skinny enough in high school when I was in high school that would claw, like be skinny enough. So I had to wear girl jeans. And a lot of guys did this. This is what like, we called like scene kids or like straight edge kids or whatever, hardcore kids. But the problem with girl pants is they were also very like, you couldn't get them past here on you when you put them on, uh, because for some reason we didn't get big enough sizes, the goal was to get like the smallest jeans. And so you kind of ended up walking around like this uh, in the jeans because you couldn't move your legs any further than that because they were strapped here rather than like a normal person's pants. I don't know why we did it, but we did. We also wore band, band shirts that were too small. So the whole general like idea of it was to wear clothing that was too small for you, but it was okay. We wore like five belts to cover up your midsection uh, because the jeans were down here and the shirt stopped here and then it was like five belts in between. I'm not really sure why we did it, okay? Uh, but then I was kind of chubby and long-legged so it looked even weirder on me for some reason. Uh, I also grew, I, I've had long hair, maybe some of you guys remember, like I used to have hair, like long hair down to here, but it didn't, I grew all my hair in high school but it didn't look good because I did it like this. Uh, this is me in high school. Uh, I dyed it black, like I have dark hair anyway, but I had dyed it black. That was the thing to do back then, was to have your hair across one of your eyes. The only problem is I wasn't supposed to be smiling, okay? Emo kids don't smile. But I wasn't like committed to the emo because I didn't want to be sad all the time. But I liked the music because I kind of like sad music sometimes. It's good. It's like, it's like Driver's License by Olivia Rodrigo. It's sad, but it's kind of good still. You can't say it's not good, right? So I, I also had this thing called a MySpace, which is like social, the first social media thing. And get this, on your MySpace page, you chose eight of your best friends to go on that thing and you ranked them for everyone to see. So literally anyone could go on your MySpace page, your profile page, and they could look to see who you consider to be your best friend or your eighth best friend. And it caused a lot of drama. And if you went to MySpace, my, MySpace page or profile page, you could pick your own music video that anytime they went to your page, a music video would play. And mine was always a song from Blink-182 called I Miss You. And it's the song where it goes, where are you? That right there. And so that was like, Every time you come onto my MySpace page, you'd hear, where are you? And I loved it, and I thought it was the coolest thing. But also, I love Jesus, and I came to youth group every week, and I, and I was a part of the band. I played bass in the band, and I did all of those things. But back then, I didn't want to do this, what I'm doing right now, and, and being a youth pastor or you know, working for 4640. I didn't want to do that. Be what I wanted to do was I wanted to be an immunologist, which was a, a study of curing, like finding cures for diseases. I wanted to do that. I don't know why, but I thought, hey, I could do that for Jesus too. I don't have to be like in the church to be a follower of Jesus. So I was like, let's do that. So in order to pursue that goal, I went to a collegiate level science program at the University of Northern Colorado called the Frontiers of Science Institute. I went to science camp, okay? I went to science camp in high school, all right? My junior year, I went to science camp. 
I understand it wasn't very cool. I did get really good at ultimate Frisbee at science camp, but nonetheless, I also worked in a science lab. I got an internship when I came back and I actually worked in a lab that they were working on all sorts of viruses and I got to like mess with all their science equipment and I did this and I was really pursuing that. But as I was furthering my studies in science, I realized there started to be this conflict, this conflict between I love Jesus and I love science but those two don't always seem to get along. They don't always seem to line up. One says one thing and one says another thing, and I'm not sure if I can do this. And so, but I still love science, and obviously my life changed, and God, God had different plans for me than in, instead of science, but I still love science. And so tonight I wanna to spend a little bit of time talking about this idea of like, can science back up Jesus? Can science back up the Bible? Can the, and what does the Bible say, and can science prove what the Bible says? And I'm gonna say the answer to that is absolutely yes. But see, here's what's taught in public school. So we're gonna talk about even just this idea of where did we come from? This, this question, we are taught in public school one thing, and what we're taught is evolution. In evolution, simply put, like you guys have probably learned in school, okay, is the, the universe began 13 billion years ago. Somehow they guessed that number. Then they also said five billion years ago. After that, 13 billion years. Five billion years ago, the earth was formed through the chaos of that big bang that they like to say happened 13 million years ago. Then three billion years ago, single-celled little organism or like the first thoughts of life kind of started to pop up here on the planet Earth. And this is all what evolution says. Then one billion years ago, you start to see like multicellular life, which doesn't mean like your dog Toto, okay? What that means is like, a virus or a bacteria with more than one cell, okay? That's all that really means. It wasn't for another like long, long time that we start seeing creatures like dinosaurs and mammals and all this, which is about 200 million years ago. Then 100 million years ago, we see what they call like the first uh, ancestor of the human race called Homo erectus. I don't know who named these things. It's ridiculous. But nonetheless, like that human ape thing, and then Homo sapiens came 300,000 300, years ago, and they say that's, that's where we are, and we are Homo sapiens in this. So that's evolution in a nutshell. There's obviously all sorts of things that had to happen between those billions of years, but that's what they say happened. Now, there are two real big problems with evolution, two questions that they do not have the answer for. The first one is, well, if there was this big bang 13 billion years ago, what, what was it? And where did it come from? Who, who, you can't just have nothing and then say, then there was an explosion. But that's kind of what they say. There wasn't anything, and then all of a sudden there was this explosion. And they can't really say, but then the obvious question is, well, what was before the Big Bang? And then, then obviously if they had an answer for that, then our question would be, well, where did that come from? And where did that come from? And they don't have a good answer for this origin of the universe. They just simply say there was a Big Bang, and then that's what started this whole process, which isn't a great origin story. If when you say the origin story of a superhero was, I don't know, that's not a movie we want to watch, right? But that's what they're saying for the evolution. And then the other thing is the origin of life. You can't have, a even if you have a bunch of rocks, you have a planet, and a lot of unalive things, you can't just all of a sudden have unalive things that turn into 
alive things. That's not how that works. If something is unalive, you can't just make it alive. And so there was nothing on this earth that could have caused there to be life. And then you have to start asking like, well, we have souls and we have all these complex things that that's, that's not very likely. And so what are the chances that life just started on earth, one, but then also that this planet could sustain life. It's absolutely incredible. So what are the chances that this planet could actually have life on it? Well, I'm going to look at it this way, okay? Um, it's super interesting. Now, there are, uh, there's, there's this kind of idea that you have to get a planet to have life on it. Things have to be perfect. It's not easy to be able to sustain life on a planet. That's, because, that's why we haven't found any anywhere else, because it's darn near impossible. But what you see is like, imagine there's like all these dials and, and the planet, and to make a planet be able to sustain life, everything has to be perfect. And all these different dials have to be perfect. Such like, okay, the distance from the sun has to be 93 million miles away. Anything else, we're either gonna freeze to death or we're gonna burn up, okay? The amount of oxygen in our atmosphere, the amount of water in our oceans, the amount of salt in our oceans, the distance from our moon, the amount of nitrogen in the air, the thickness of our atmosphere, and so on and so forth. There's all of these different, like, settings almost that are perfect in order for life to exist here on planet Earth. Now, what are the odds of finding a planet that has everything perfect? Well, somebody smarter than me put it like this. Imagine this airplane right here, okay? This is a 747. This is one of the biggest airplanes in the world, right? Now, imagine we took apart every bit of this airplane, all of the paneling, the engine, the turbines, the wings, we took it. Every bit of every piece of this airplane, we took it apart and we put it in a pile in some sort of net and we connected that net to something that was able to lift up that bag of airplane parts and drop it. What do you think the odds that when they drop all the parts of the airplane down on the ground, that it lands fully assembled and looks just like that? Obviously, not very good chances that you're going to drop all the parts and they're going to fall perfectly assembled. That is the same odds that a planet could be set perfectly in order for there to be life. The number is absolutely crazy. The number is one in seven quintillion, okay? I didn't even know quintillion was a word until this week. Now, quintillion, we can't even like, we can't even begin to picture this, okay? It is one in seven with 20 zeros on the, on the end of it, okay? I'm not even gonna bother writing 20 zeros because my hand would get tired. That is a huge, massive number. But that is the chances that there could be a planet that could sustain life. But evolution wants to say that we all were just here by chance, that it was simply an accident. Here's the problem with evolution. Let's look at this, this right here, a little ping pong ball, okay? Now, we look at this ping pong ball and we go, where did it come from? Well, it came from the, the ping pong store. I don't, it came from the place that sells ping pong, right? And how did it get here? Well, I, I took it from over there and I put it right here. So we know exactly 
We, we can say, we can guess who made it, and we can say where it came from, okay? So we've got this. Now let's think of something, let's just blow this up, for instance, okay? So now we've got the ping pong ball. We automatically assume the ping pong ball didn't just magically appear here. It came from somewhere and someone created it. Let's blow this up, okay? So now let's look at this guy, okay? So clearly so much bigger than this ping pong ball, a lot bigger. But just because it's bigger doesn't mean we change that idea. We still assume somebody made the big ball. We assume that, thank you, Hope, brought it out to us, and that's why it's here, because someone made it, and then someone put it here. Okay, so now let's move on. Let's blow this up even more. Maybe let's blow it up to the planet Earth. Okay, we blow this up. Boom, right here, planet Earth. Just because the rules applied for this, and we made it bigger to this, the rules still apply. And if we blow it up from this to this, the rules still have to apply. Someone had to have created that, and someone had to have put it there. Now, let's blow it up one more time. Let's go the entire universe, okay? So that's, that's a fancy picture of like the, ent the entire thing. Just because it's bigger doesn't mean the same rules don't apply. Someone had to have created it, and someone had to have put it there. Now, the only difference here with the universe is the universe, every physical thing is in the universe. Nothing is outside of the universe. So we can't say that something inside of the universe created the universe any more than we could say something inside this ping pong ball. This ping pong ball created itself. That sounds crazy when I say this ping pong ball created itself. But when someone, scientist says that the universe created itself, we're like, oh, okay, that's interesting. I like that idea. But no, the same rules have to apply for this, to this, to the planet, to the universe. The same rules have to apply. And the person, who created all of these things has to be outside of the universe. Just like the ping pong ball, the creator of the ping pong ball was outside of this, the same thing has to go with the universe. So the person who created the universe has to be outside of it and in, in the realm outside of that who has to be highly creative and all powerful. And that person is God. The Bible says in Genesis 1-1, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. So right there, if we believe that the word of God is true, then evolution doesn't work. Because evolution says it was all an accident. It all happened according to the science laws of nature and all of these things. But Genesis 1-1 says, nope, it was God. Right there, evolution has to go out the window. So what happened? What happened exactly? Well, so the Bible takes an account in Genesis 1 of, the, of how we got here. Where did we come from? Well, in six days, God created everything. In day one, he created light and darkness. Day two, sky. Day three, the oceans, lands, and plants. Day four, sun, moon, and stars. Day five, the birds of the air and the sea, the creatures of the sea. And number six, the animals that roamed the earth and us. He created us. And the Bible says that. And a lot of people would say like, well, God's days are not our days. And so we don't know how long it actually took. Maybe they just mean it took each day was like billions of years. And people like to say that or millions of years. And the truth is, guys, when we look at the order of that right there, according to what evolution says, it doesn't line up. Evolution and the Bible do not match up well. And there's no way for us to put the two together. So if the Bible is the ultimate 
absolute truth, which is what we believe here at 4640, that this is God's word and it is not, it doesn't lie. It doesn't try and trick us. It doesn't, it doesn't change anything. It's mine. It doesn't contradict itself. The Bible is God's word. And if we looked at it and said, when the Bible says that God in six days created the heavens and the earth, we can actually go, yes, I believe that's what happened. In six days, he created the earth and on the seventh day, he took a nap. If we actually looked at it that way, what would happen? Well, I'll tell you one thing that will happen. As evolutionists, people who believe in, science, in evolution will call you crazy. They will say it's impossible and all of these, and they will try and give you all of these ideas of why it is impossible. But is it any more crazy for us to say that God, who we've, who we've experienced every week on a Wednesday night or, or in that moment in our, in our struggles, a very real God who spoke to us or touched us or, or gave us the peace we needed or the power or the courage in us to say that that God, the almighty God created these things in six days. Is it any crazier for us to say that than for an evolutionist to say it all just happened by chance? Is it any crazier for God than for them to say, yeah, that one in seven quintillion chance, that's what we're talking about. Does it take any more faith to believe that God created the earth in six days than it does for them to say, we just came about out of nothing on accident? They both take faith. But here's the other thing the science would like, evolutionists would like to tell you, but they have proof and we don't. That's what they're gonna try and say. But the truth is, we have proof. And I'm gonna tell you a few of those things. But the first thing we have to understand is that when God created the earth in those six days, he created a grown-up earth, an earth that already had mountains, seas, oceans, and all those things. It didn't take him millions and millions of years to form all those things, or the stars in the sky, or the moon, or any of those things. He spoke them into existence, and they came into existence. When he created Adam, he did not create Adam as a baby and just throw him into the garden and say, good luck, little baby. I hope you survive in the garden. No, he formed man. He formed a grown-up Adam. And just like he formed a grown-up Adam, he formed a grown-up earth. And so we have to understand that in that timeline of, honestly, if the Bible says six days, then the earth is only six, maybe 7,000 years old not five billion years old, which is vastly different. But we would have to find some evidence, right? We'd have to see some things in the world that would say, does it back it up? Because that's what they would say. And the truth is, guys, there are things that we will look at that give us proof that there's, the world is only six to 7,000 years old. All right, so here's this. Look at this. This is the Grand Canyon, okay? Now, this is a massive canyon, and what they would like to say is that the canyon was slowly etched over millions and millions of years by the Colorado River, and it, and it ran through there, and it slowly eroded away. Well, there's all sorts of problems with that in, in that there's no, like, at the end of the Colorado River, if you had all of that eroding away, you would have an incredible landmass at the end of the river. You would have all sorts of proof that that was how it happened. But we don't see any of those types of things. There's actually more proof that the Grand Canyon was eroded away very quickly by a large amount of water. Now, there is a story or a history in the book of Genesis in chapter 6 of a great 
flood in the Bible. And so when we look at this flood and how could it have done that, if we look at the type of flood that the Bible describes, it absolutely could have created that. It wouldn't have taken millions and millions of years, but it would have taken a very short amount of time when you start thinking of a massive flood. There's evidence of animals from different eras. You know, the scientists want you to say, like, we found a fossil of an animal that is 500 million years old. But what they don't always tell you is that 500 million year old fossil, the animal that's in it, is in the ocean today. It hasn't changed. It's the same animal that's in that fossil that's in the ocean today. So is it 500 million years old? Or did just some of those animals that were in the sea just happen to get stuck in some mud during a great flood and rapidly fossilize into those things? There is scientific proof and evidence and things that point towards a young earth or a earth that's only six to 7,000 years old. There's certain animals, okay? So let's look at this animal right here. What's this animal? A giraffe is so cute, right? Now, what happens if you uh, like go like this, right, for a long time, and then you pop up real fast? What happens, right? You get real dizzy when you do that. Now, imagine if your neck is eight feet long, okay? And you're just like, that looks like some delicious grass. And you bend over, okay? And you eat the delicious grass. And then you hear something that scares you. And you go, what was that? Okay, if your neck is eight feet long and all of those things and you weren't created to be able to do that, you know what happens? That animal immediately passes out and then the predator that was going to chase it just simply comes and starts snacking on the giraffe because the giraffe couldn't stand up too fast, okay? But what happens is we look at in a giraffe, there are chambers in its neck that hold the blood in it so that a giraffe can sit up quickly. Now, you can't evolve that because the first giraffe who maybe didn't have those chambers, if it was evolving, would get up really fast, pass out, get eaten, and there goes no more giraffes, just like that. But that's not what happens. We see giraffes everywhere. Why? Because they were created in a way where they could survive. Another one, uh, I like to call it the boom boom bug, okay? This right here is called a bombardier beetle, and it is fascinating. It has two different, like, sacs in its butt, okay, uh, that release these, like, liquids. And when these two liquids, it's kind of funny, but when these two liquids uh, come together, they create a spark, okay? It actually creates, like, a, a, a little tiny explosion, you can't evolve with two chemicals that are, when they come together, explode. Because the first boom boom bug that was supposedly evolving into that, the first one that happened to have these two chemicals in it, if it didn't have those sacs to keep them separated, the boom boom bug would just go boom and there would be no more boom boom bugs, okay? This bug could not have evolved. It had to have been created. Another thing we start to see in, in animals and different things is even in fossils, okay? Recently, they found a, a Tyrannosaurus rex bone, okay? That is supposedly, Tyrannosaurus rex, according to evolution, have not been around for 200 million years. But when they cut open this fossil, you know what they found? They found soft tissue, what that means is if you were to cut open my arm, please don't, but if you did and you would cut down my arm, you would see soft tissue. But what they would expect to see from a 200 million year old fossil 
is that everything from the top all the way through would have been fossilized into stone. How do you get a Tyrannosaurus Rex bone that still has soft tissue? Well, the only option, the only solution is that 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 T-Rex did not die 200,000 years ago, but only within the last five to 10,000 years. That's the only solution to have if you have a Tyrannosaurus Rex bone with soft tissue in it. That's the only explanation. And so there is proof, guys. There is evidence that the earth could only be six to 7,000 years old. And that's what the Bible says. And so it's not crazy. We're not crazy conspiracy theorists like the flat earthers. We're not flat earthers, okay? We're young earthers, but we have scientific facts that back us up. And we have the word of God to back us up. See, evolution wants to look at all this evidence and the things that support evolution. They're going to go, hey, hooray, look at this. Look at how these animals look really old and all of these things. And if they find anything that doesn't support them, you know what they're going to do? Kick it under a rug and pretend like it doesn't exist. But when you look at it through the Bible and say, okay, what, what about all of these things? How could we explain it through the Bible? There is evidence that the earth is where the God, the God of his word, the Bible, says it is. But the truth is, we won't ever win the argument. We won't. With a, with a scientist, with your teacher, with a cousin who believes in evolution, you're never going to win the argument. Because evolution will never accept something that they cannot explain. And we base everything off the belief that our God, the all-powerful creator, the outside of this universe, the alpha and the omega, the beginning and the end, outside of time, space, and matter, created the universe, that he did a miracle. That he spoke stars, planets, seas, mountains, animals into existence. And he picked up some dirt from dust from the ground and he formed man in his own image, that's a miracle. And they're never going to accept a miracle. But we can. And you're not crazy to go, I believe that God's word is true. Because he's not gonna lie in the chapter one and expect us to believe the rest of it. God's, God is truthful in every word of this book. So, I know you guys probably have a ton of questions about this, and I want to answer these questions. And obviously, there's so much more to talk about this because it's such a big subject. So what I'm going to have is uh, after, after service, you're going to be able to text in any questions. And I'm going to need some time to study up these questions because I can tell you what it says in the Bible, but I also want to tell you if there's any scientific evidence that backs up your questions. You can ask me about dinosaurs, how the earth is, where something came from, okay? But you can text me your questions for next week. And I want you to come back next week. And if you have a friend who's like, I don't, who truly believes in evolution, have them come next week and let's talk this out because it is absolutely true that God created the earth in six days. But here's something I want to talk, talk about real fast before we walk away is this right here. Why did God do it? Why did God create everything? If, if truly he, he did create everything, why didn't he just create planet Earth in its own little bubble? And, and why did he have to create everything else? Well, one, I like to say he was showing off. I like to say he wanted to go, look how powerful I am. Because he wanted you, his kid, when you're going through something hard, 
something that you feel like it's a big deal in your life. He wanted you to be able to look up in the sky and see how big the, the world is, the universe is, and realize that your God, in his word, says he holds it in the palm of his hand, and that you have a big God who loves you and cares for you. You have a God who spoke stars into existence, who is for you and wants what's best for you. I think he, he wanted, he did all of that to understand how special you are, truly, that he created all of that, but he still calls you his favored son or daughter, that he loved you and he died for you. And I think he did it to bring you closer to him. As the big world feels big, he wants you to draw in closer to him. And I think he wanted you to be able to see him every day in everything. As you're driving down the road to school, you can see the mountains and look up at the sky and be reminded that your God is loving, all-powerful, and that your God is with you. And that's, I think, why he did it. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, God, we love you. We love you so much. Thank you for creating us. Thank you for creating everything else. Thanks for giving us such a special place in your creation, that you made us in your image, God. I pray, Lord, as we go out and we, we go about our week and we start to look around, we would be thinking of you and how amazing and awesome you are. We love you, and it's in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening to the 4640 Student Center Podcast. For more information on what's happening in 4640, you can check us out on social media and at our website, 4640gj.com. Service times are Tuesday and Wednesday nights. Hope to see you there.